Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Hello, my favorite church in the world. So good to see you. Today we are finishing our series, The Life of Christ in You. Uh, where we've been looking at significant events in Jesus' life and what they mean for us, the powerful things that they mean for us. This weekend is titled Jesus and Second Chances. As you look at so many people in Scripture and so many heroes of the faith, uh, you discover they actually had pretty sketchy backgrounds. Uh, They had scandals in their life and they were broken people. And there's one person in particular I want us to study this weekend, a man named Matthew. Why him? Uh, Well, as we've looked at the life of Jesus in this series, much of what we've read about the events in Jesus' life, um, we've read from the accounts that Matthew wrote down as a follower of, of Christ. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. He was one of the apostles. Uh, He is one of the heroes of the Christian faith. Uh, But Matthew had uh, a history, he had a questionable character, he had darkness in his life, and his uh, story is one of amazing grace. But before we get into Matthew's story, I want to ask you about your life and your story. Because when we come to the Word of God, the Bible doesn't only tell you the things that God has done or that he will do. The Bible tells us how he does things. It it does not tell us only the things that God has said. The Bible will even tell you how God thinks and how he addresses issues and how he thinks about, uh, about life. The Bible is not simply a historical book. It's an eternal book. And there's eternal truth in its pages. So when you come to a historical passage like the story of Matthew, you're always looking for the eternal truth. How does this example of this disciple, how can it help transform my character uh, into the likeness of Christ? How can it help grow me? So I want to ask just a couple of questions. Uh, One of them is there on your outline, and it's this question. What does God think of you? What is God's opinion of you? When God sees you, does he only see your past? Or does he dream about your future? Does he just shake his head at all the mistakes that you've made and things that you've done, uh, like we tend to do from time to time? This week I was driving, and uh, as I was driving, I started thinking about uh, something that happened years ago, several years ago, and a mistake that I had made. And uh, I just started dwelling on it. Uh, and then as, as I'm driving, I just lower my head and shake my head and go, oh, man. And my four-year-old son is in the back seat, and he goes, what's the matter, Dad? And uh, I didn't want to tell him what I was thinking about. And so I was like, well, it was just a, a mistake that I made. And he's like, oh, what, what mistake did you make? And I was like, actually, it was years ago before you was born. And he was just so confused about how I'd be thinking about something so long ago and upset about it uh, today. 
And when we go through those times of dwelling on the past, is that what God does? Does he look at our past and shake his head and say, oh man. Or does he, does he delight in who he is making us to be moment by moment, step by step, day by day, more and more into the image of Christ? And friend, how you answer this question is so profound in your life. It will affect how you see God. It will affect how you see yourself. It will affect how you uh, view the world around you and how you interact with the people in your life. How did this question work out in Matthew's life? Uh, We know that Matthew was a tax collector. Uh, We also know that Matthew was Jewish. And the problem you have right there is you have a Jewish man working for the Roman government. And the tax collectors in those days were the most hated people in their society. Because to the rest of the Jews, the tax collector was a sellout. He was a traitor. He was a man making his money off the back, off the sweat of his own people. And the way the tax collector made his money from the Romans, it's not like he went to work for them and earned a salary. It was much more like buying a franchise. Uh, where the tax collector would go to the Romans voluntarily and say, I can guarantee you that I will collect and deliver a certain amount of tax money from this specific group of people. And then the Romans didn't care how much he actually collected as long as he delivered on what he promised. So a tax collector could then, uh, just out of his own calculations, his own desire, uh, his own read on the economy, or even just out of his own whim, place any kind of assessment he wanted to on property or goods. Then as long as he gave to the Romans what he guaranteed to them, they didn't care how much he kept on top of that. So for some tax collectors, the more they could get out of somebody, the richer they they would become. And Matthew was no peasant, as we'll see as the story develops. But because of the way tax collectors went about their business, their own people hated them because they worked for the Romans. But the Romans also hated them because they were Jewish. So the only friends that a tax collector would have would be other tax collectors or other hated people in society. In their society, a tax collector's testimony wasn't even allowed in a court of law because uh, they did not trust these guys. Their reputation was they were liars and they only lived for themselves. Now what in the world would lead a guy to take on this kind of job as a career, knowing what other people were going to think of him. And I don't want to project too much on Matthew specifically because I have learned that when you find someone in a pitiful condition or you find someone in a very sinful condition, when you start peeling back the onion, you find a lot of brokenness there. And you find a lot of mistakes, you find a lot of pain, you find a lot of rejection. Uh, I mean, it, it could be that he had faced so much rejection in his life from other things that he decided, well, if I'm going to be rejected this way, I might as well make a living off of it and go be a tax collector. Uh, it could be that he did have a hardened heart and a, a callous disregard for his own people and didn't respect uh, his heritage. Um, I'm sure there was a level of some hopelessness there that, well, we're being governed by the Romans, our enemies, I don't see any change coming, I might as well get whatever I can out of this system, because if it's not me, it's just going to be somebody else. 
Of course, he had the Roman soldiers to be his enforcers, so there's nothing anyone could do to stop him from what he was doing. But in spite of all this money that Matthew was making in his job, he was spiritually bankrupt because he had been told, as all the people in their culture were told, that tax collectors could never go to synagogue. It would be like saying, no, you could never go to church. A tax collector was told that his prayers would not be heard, let alone be answered, and you could never connect with God. And they were told they had absolutely no hope of ever receiving any kind of favor, any kind of mercy from God, no matter what they did to try to make things right. There was nothing they could ever do to be made right before God. Their case was closed. It was hopeless for a tax collector. They were beyond redemption. And I can imagine it must have been in Matthew's mind that when it came to things about God and faith, he had to have thought, well, it's too late for me. There's nothing I can do to make things different. I have no chance at heaven and I might as well get what I can on earth because after this is over, there's hell to pay. Uh, So that's a tax collector and maybe some of those things or a mixture of all those things, it represents Matthew. That's his background. That's the life that he's living And his only friends were people just like him. Everybody hates him. One day, Jesus stepped into Matthew's life and with just two words, (laughs) two words, uh, Jesus changes everything about Matthew. And we're gonna look at what those two words are today. And there's a lot of lessons we can learn from the words of scripture today. Lessons that not only tell us what happened to Matthew, but as I said, tell us about how God thinks things through with us as well. If you'd like to write this down, here's the the first thing you can write down is Jesus, just as Jesus saw Matthew, number one, Jesus sees me as I am. This is so crucial. Matthew was not looking for Jesus on this particular day. He did not deserve Jesus' attention. Now, this is not the first time that they've known of one another here in this encounter. Uh, Jesus, or Matthew is going to have known of, Jesus is doing miracles in Matthew's town. And the word is spreading quickly. And Matthew has probably seen Jesus uh, do some things or heard some of his teaching. He's aware of who Jesus is. But this particular day, Matthew's not out looking for Jesus. Jesus crosses his path. And here's what the Bible says. Look at this first verse on your outline. Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, now where is there? Uh, You guys remember the people that brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus so he could be healed and they cut a hole in the roof and dropped the guy down in front of Jesus? That's there. As Jesus went on from there, and you read this section, if you want to go and read Matthew 8 and Matthew 9, it's like all this stuff that happens for Jesus happens in a single day. I mean, what a life. I mean, he's healing this guy. Now he's walking on from there and he saw. Would you say that that word out loud with me? Saw. A man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. That's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Uh, But there's some profound truth in these words. When it says that Jesus saw a man named Matthew, this wasn't like a casual glance, like Matthew caught his eye or he just saw him. This, This word is... He focused in on Matthew and understood him. He saw him. He perceived him. It's sort of like 
when someone's trying to explain something to you and you finally stop long enough or they explain it in such a way that you finally get it. And what do you say when you get it? Oh, I see. I see it. It's that kind of scene. Jesus saw Matthew. Jesus understood Matthew. He understood his story, his life. He understood what it was like to be him. He understood how other people perceived Matthew. He understood how Matthew perceived himself. And just like Jesus saw Matthew, Jesus sees you. He understands you. He gets you. He sees your past in perfect perspective. He looks at you and gets you. He knows what you've done. He knows what's been done to you. And when you feel like, man, there is just no one who really understands what I'm going through right now. No one understands uh, why it's this way in my life. No one understands uh, why I think about things this way. Jesus does. He sees you as you are. Here's the second thing we can learn. That not only does Jesus see me as I am, but Jesus loves me as I am. Jesus crossed Matthew's vision where he worked, where he was working. And what's amazing is it's while he's at the tax collector's booth, hurting people. While Matthew is hurting people, Jesus loves him. No other rabbi in that day, no other religious person at that time would have risked their own reputation. Uh, The scandal of being the friend of a tax collector, no one would do something like that. But that is the way of Jesus. And what it tells me is that Jesus is not afraid of sinners. Jesus is not afraid of me. Jesus is not afraid of you. He loves you. He doesn't wait to love you. He loves you now. Verse 10 shows us this. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, and that's just a phrase you see in the Gospels a lot. Uh, They kind of lump this hated group Uh, together making it clear that these tax collectors or sinners came and ate with him and his disciples when the pharisees saw this they asked his disciples why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners why are they so shocked by what's going on here it's because in their culture similar to ours having dinner with someone represents acceptance uh, friendship love uh, respect If you're going to go to someone's house for dinner, it represents a relationship. So how could this holy man Jesus be showing friendship and acceptance and love to someone like this? Uh, Tax collectors, according to Jewish leaders, were as unclean, ceremonially unclean, spiritually unclean as pigs. So to be eating a meal with a tax collector, Jesus might as well have been eating with pigs. But as I thought about the progress of this story, it's almost kind of funny to me because it says Jesus sees Matthew, says follow me, and the very next thing it says is while he's having dinner at Matthew's house. Uh, So when Jesus says follow me and Matthew takes him up on the offer, where is the first place Jesus leads Matthew to? His own house for dinner. It would be sort of like he said, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew said, where are we going? Jesus says, I don't know, I'm kind of hungry. Let's go to your house for dinner. 
but how profound that he leads Matthew to his own house. He doesn't escape the sin. He doesn't escape uh, what might happen to his reputation. It's more like, introduce me to your friends. Introduce me to your world. He enters even more into a relationship with Matthew and into the world in which he lives. Matthew, as Luke tells us, put on a great banquet, he called it, it, this huge meal and invited all uh, of his tax collectors and sinner friends to come and meet Jesus, the guy who is now transforming his life. And to the religious leaders, this is a scandal, but Jesus sees me as I am. He loves me as I am right here and right now. And a third lesson we learn is number three, Jesus calls me as I am. He didn't tell Matthew uh, to change anything about himself first. He said, come on, follow me. In fact, look at this next verse. The Bible says that on hearing this, on on hearing what? That's the the complaint that the Pharisees uh, have put out there. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus is chiming in here. The Pharisees said this to his disciples. Jesus responds, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. When Jesus said, uh, go and learn what this means, I thought to myself, I ought to go and learn what that means. Uh, And this is actually in the book of Hosea. He's quoting from the Old Testament, and he's quoting... Uh, a part of the book, and remember he's talking to Pharisees, these are religious leaders, and um, it's kind of, he's kind of talking to them in shorthand, because they would have known the rest of the story behind this, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, they would have known where that is in the scriptures, it's sort of like in your house with your friends or with your family, um, there's some insider language, I mean you might even tell the punchline of a joke, And everyone laughs, and you don't need the whole context, you don't need the whole story around it for everyone to get it. Though this is no joke. This might have even had a level of sarcasm or cutting to it, because Jesus is saying to a Pharisee, uh, you don't understand what this means. You're going to have to go learn what this means. You don't know the scriptures. And Jesus is rebuking them for merciless, heartless religion. And let's just look on the screen here at, in Hosea, what it says. In the context, God is talking uh, to hypocrites. Um, They're supposed to be godly people, supposed to be speaking for him, uh, but they're hypocritical. And here's what he says, Hosea 6, 4. Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. What does this mean, I desire mercy? What is mercy? Mercy is an attitude of love towards someone in a pitiful condition. An attitude of love towards someone in a pitiful condition. It's loving kindness. It's good-heartedness. An attitude of love to someone in a pitiful condition. Matthew was in a pitiful state. And as cruel as the tax collecting may have been, his life was pitiful. And when you think of what he had become, what he had allowed himself to become, what he had gotten himself 
into. When it says, I desire the acknowledgement of God, this isn't the, the tip of the cap to God. This isn't acknowledging God in theory or in history, saying, I desire uh, you to acknowledge me in your life, to have a, a, a relationship, to have a desire uh, to know me. So in other words, what God is saying in the passage and what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is, I don't want your legalism. I don't want your rules, which the Pharisees had added, all these rules to the traditional law. I, I want a relationship, and that's what Jesus called Matthew to. Jesus did not call Matthew to a legalistic set of things. The words are follow me, not follow this. He called Matthew to himself. Jesus sees me as I am. Jesus loves me as I am. Jesus calls me as I am. But here's this fourth point, and it's really important, and that is Jesus won't leave me as I am. He didn't make Matthew jump through a bunch of hoops before he could be his follower. There wasn't an application. There wasn't a line. There wasn't an interview, an initiation period, orientation, 90-day grace period. Jesus called Matthew before he had done anything to deserve it. It was the grace of God, and it is the grace of God that saves you. It is the grace of God that enables you to live a life that honors the creator who made you. In chapter 25, verse 23, Matthew records what Jesus will say to those who have responded to the grace that God gives them and uses their second chance to serve him and invest their life in the things of Christ. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I don't think it's any coincidence that it's Matthew the tax collector who was redeemed by Jesus that wrote this down in the pages of scripture. And by the grace of God, just as this will be said of Matthew, it can be said of you. Look at this wonderful promise in the book of Philippians, uh, chapter one, verse six. He who began a good work in you, not you who began a good work in you, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In the way of man, in the way of religion, in the way of legalism, you have to begin a good work in you. But in the way of Christ, you are saved. In the way of Christ, you don't have to take a pilgrimage before you're saved. You don't even have to step out of the tax collector's booth before he sees you, loves you, and calls you. Salvation is the first steps of the Christian faith. What everybody else has to work for to try to attain, God starts right here with you where you are. He says, here, here is a gift. Now let me show you how to walk in it. Let me let you in on a little secret. It's not good people that go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Good people are not made right with God. Justified people are made right with God. And the only way uh, to get those things is to surrender to them. To take Jesus up on his invitation for you 
to follow him. Matthew could have stayed in the booth. Matthew could have rejected Christ. Several times in scripture, Jesus called someone to follow him. And they did not. But Matthew, the the gospel of Luke, when it talks about this encounter of of calling Matthew, it says that he uh, got up without a moment's hesitation, left everything, and followed Jesus. He left everything. Now you gotta think about what Matthew was leaving behind when he did that. Matthew knew that he was taking enormous risks because he could never go back to his old life. He couldn't say, all right, I'll give this a shot and if it doesn't work out, I'll go back to tax collecting. No, he left the books, he left everything behind, he abandoned his post. He left everything sitting there and the Romans, they're not gonna give him his job back. They may in fact be out looking for him and no other Jewish people would give him anything either. So after everything that he's done to them, uh, there's no plan B with them. So Matthew is all in. He's completely committed. There are no other options other than Jesus after he leaves that tax collector's booth. He's completely surrendered to what's going on there and the call on his life. That speaks to me of a man who was desperate, desperate for a relationship with God. A man who has been told by a religious system, told by his society, told by his culture, it's too late for you. You've gone too far. You've made too many mistakes and you're too unclean for God. It's hopeless. The case is closed. It's over. So the first chance to get a second chance, Matthew jumps at it. Instantly, he responded to it. The Bible says he left everything. And what did he leave besides his job? He left his guilt. He left his shame. He left his uncleanliness. He left his sins. He left his past. He left all the things about his life that he hated. And he stepped into a whole new life. And it's Matthew who records these words of Jesus in Matthew 28. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus gives you that invitation right now to follow him, for him to be with you. Everybody else saw Matthew. They um, saw his past. They saw his failures. Jesus saw Matthew's future. He saw a disciple, an apostle, uh, a messenger from God who would write down a message that would change the world. And Jesus met Matthew just the way he was, saw him as he was, loved him as he was, called him as he was, and did not leave him there, did not leave him where he was. So let me go back to the the question that I started with, and that is, what does God think of you? What is his opinion of you? When God sees you like Jesus saw Matthew, which he does, the Bible says nothing's hidden. Everything lays open before him. He sees everything in your life. He understands you. He gets you. And if you think that you have gone too far and you are somehow unforgivable because of something you did as a child, something you did as a teenager, something you did as as an adult, and you think, I am unforgivable, then what you're saying is that all the things we talked about in this series, Jesus' baptism, temptation, suffering, death, resurrection, ministry, and the gift of the Holy Spirit is insufficient for you. You're saying that's not enough to save me. But friend, it's not about you. 
Your salvation is not even about you. It's for you, but it is by no means about you. It is about Christ and his glory. And when doubt enters in and you wonder, there's no way God could save me. There's no way God would choose me. Friend, you're thinking about you too much. It's about Christ. It's about his glory. And he says to you, just like he said to Matthew, the tax collector, follow me. Nobody is beyond reach. Nobody is beyond God's forgiveness. One last thought. Matthew shows us there is no person who is beyond God's forgiveness and there is no forgiven person who cannot be used for God's glory. Would you pray with me? As I pray, if, if you like, just let this prayer become your prayer. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you today for your mercy, your loving kindness in my pitiful condition. And I thank you for your grace uh, that sustains me. I thank you for Matthew's life and story and what it shows me about how you see me. I thank you that you see me and know me and understand me. You get me just as I am. I thank you that you love me just as I am. And God, I thank you for the call that you put on my life. Would you pray that to him today? God, thank you for calling me just as I am. And Lord, I praise you. I thank you that you will not leave me as I am. And I ask you to grow me, to continue to grow me, to pursue me, to love me and to show me how to walk in this life that you have given me. Uh, maybe you've never opened your life to Christ before and this message is speaking to you about things going on in your heart. Or maybe in the past you have taken God up on his offer and you've somehow wandered away or you think I I'm too lost now or I blew my chance but I invite you to let this be your prayer right now. Say, Lord, I'm coming out from behind my sin today and I'm choosing to follow you. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a new heart, to give me a new life, to teach me what it means to follow you, teach me what it means to trust you, teach me how to live a life uh, that pleases you, that honors my creator. And God, I surrender to you today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.